Today's official talks with Bora Babochi. Welcome, Bora, to our conversation. And our first question for you is: What do you feel about these times? Normally, I would answer the question based on my own perception of the community I was in or the local context I was in. But somehow, I think what really marks these times is that we have to address the global context because it's so in your face somehow. You are so informed about everything that is happening. We get information from a global context, but we know in the same time that our information is scarce and it's kind of superficial. What we get is also very driven by something we don't know how much we can trust. But do you feel like you are in control? I can answer it in very different ways, but right now I do feel in control of specific choices that I can make and um, I do feel in control of um, making these choices within a context that I can understand. Now, how can we understand what people want at a very large scale? Like, is it possible to actually even trust the so-called wisdom of the crowd? Mm. I think it has a big risk of um, being quite, I don't know if I should say superficial, mm. but as I was saying before, this change of scale now where your information is given in another scale and your um, reaction to the things that are happening is towards another scale now. I feel like also this idea of what people want or what they can want has gone to the to the scale of talking about the needs and the wants as a package of a whole community. I think what people want is um, an impulse that comes from the context or society they live in. So it can really be managed um, by other people or other structures when they are not conscious of that or by themselves when they get to a certain consciousness of trying to filter where the stimulus is coming from, of kind of building up their desires. But I think the wisdom we are getting right now is um, a kind of reaction to an infrastructure that is building that wisdom. Like if you see popular culture, for example, or if you see folklore, religion as well, no? these are all wisdoms of the crowd. These are right. things that have been kind of uh, communicated through times um, and they have come to us today and there, there is where we actually base uh, our wisdom. They are all part of this crowd wisdom, I guess. But I think, I think that's the only option in a way that eventually a community or a crowd will produce a common yeah. wisdom and that is what will be the base of something else starting. Yeah. But what I feel is happening to that wisdom a lot is that it is lacking maybe uh, experience and it is a projection. A lot of these wisdoms or needs or desires are not really coming from um, an experience of their communities mm. or their surroundings of their, or their everyday lives in the sense of an action, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but are rather coming from a projection right. that they are coming from the outside. Yeah. And I think that is quite dangerous. I think it is much easier to to not have a personal impulse 
to things when what you want comes from the outside instead of you building up towards an experience that leads you there. So I would believe that the process of building those desires is much more important. Hmm. Um, How do you use a library? Hmm. And what are your strategies for accessing unfamiliar perspectives? Okay. So the first library I used was my parents. And um, I remember that when I was young, I tried to archive all of the books. And I never could finish, but I did start this archival process with the books of the family. Mm -hmm. And I remember that it was a very difficult and long process. Uh, because you also had to come up with a system to be able to organize these books. And that also depends a lot on the kinds of books and also on your personal choices. Why would you categorize specific things? This idea of categorizing comes to mind and um, it also comes to mind Luis Borges mm-hmm. because um, he was, first of all, a, a, a big visitor of libraries or even resident, I would say. Mm-hmm. But also because uh, he has this very interesting reference to a Chinese encyclopedia. It is a fictional work. He talks about categories and uh, he comes up with this encyclopedia where the categories are, for example, the animals that look like flies from the Uh distance Mm -hmm. or the animals, I think, painted with a specific kind of pen Mm -hmm. Or the or the, the animals that are part of this encyclopedia. So like really categories that have in our system of values, let's say, I really have no way of putting them together. But right. that is exactly where this idea of categorizing mm-hmm. and uh, how you order things come um, into mind. But I don't use so much, I have to say, libraries right now okay. because I get a lot of the books from the internet, unfortunately, but it's just easier right now for me. And so I feel like this idea of categories and how you get information from what filters, it also very important in the internet because you can type your topics and you don't know who is filtering and what you're getting as a feedback. So, um, and we talked about this. When I look at a newspaper or a library or an archive, I go and I um, have all the books without being hierarchical to each other, in a way. Mm. And I think the information in the internet, um, there is a filter that is already happening before I access my own yeah. uh, filter on things. So, so then what you're saying is it's probably difficult to access unfamiliar perspectives in today's situation because you are fed certain things based on... Yes, mm. yes, mm. probably. At least with the most... Um, if the effort is not done, right. I'd say. I mean, right. there's always... Uh, I think internet is also just... It does give you a specific experience which mm. you can choose to have or you can also choose to actually go to the library, get your card, right. try to talk in... English to the German receptionist. So, and you can get a completely different experience, and that will probably take you to completely different books. Absolutely. In a way, it is it is harder, I guess, to also get to creativity somehow because 
when you are in the context of these other people yeah. giving you feedback, something happens yeah. that is kind of exposing these people through you to each other and then something happens and you, you sometimes get you know, some ideas in, in a different way than when you are actually with yourself, with the screen. Yeah. All right, so the next question is, can pretending to be an expert actually help to become an expert? Um, depends who is judging that. I mean, <laughs> I guess... Uh, because of the way we choose expertise right now, which is based on mostly references or theoretical knowledge of the person who's supposed to be an expert, then I guess um, it could kind of help to, to give uh, the opportunity to show an expertise from somebody else that maybe he or she doesn't have. But I think what's more interesting is this idea of getting into the role of an expert. So not so much to do with the outside uh, perspective of you as an expert, but of your own as an expert. First of all, because I think even that, just like the first question you asked about what was happening today, even that has been, in a way, disassociated from experience. So before not glorifying the past, but you had somebody who became an expert through a long experience of what they were doing. And I feel like that kind of expertise, of course, it's still today very valuable, but because of the necessity to um, filter and to choose and to take some experts in and some out, the systems of choice have reduced that experience into paperwork in a way. So uh, the question kind of reminds me of uh, a kind of resume application and what you're putting into that and how much is going to that help you Mm -hmm. become an expert and also whether you will be or not disguised through the process because maybe you could even just go on for years living as an expert without it. However, I think that when there is real need of expertise, so this really maybe also says a lot about the jobs that we have created uh, and expertise we expect people to have. I think when there is the need of real expertise, mm-hmm. then these very um, kind of superficial and closed processes are completely disguised. So there is no way that they can reach I think, mm-hmm. to the level where real expertise is necessary, like an operation. Yeah. Like there is specific things, I think, which are necessary. Right. And in that necessity, um, expertise is unavoidable. Mm-hmm. And maybe that should um, also questions the other kind of things that we are doing, which supposedly can be managed also by putting yourself into the role of the expert. Um, is it possible to be an expert layperson, an expert everyday person? The, an expert of the everyday? or That's one way <laughs> to look at it. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. I think everybody becomes an expert in what they practice a lot and have a kind of... Uh, like you can be an expert of just... Um, of being a very lazy person, uh-huh. if that is what you have um, practiced in your lifetime. 
But then to go back to earlier what you said, the, yeah. an expert of the everyday. Yeah. Okay. I think it sounds really good. <laughs> now we can... I think for me it's a very hopeful mm. term somehow. Uh-huh. Because um, the idea of the everyday has really become devalued as mm. if, you know, you cannot have the everyday. You have to have the very special days and the very special people. And that goes to, you know, also the idea of the expert and the everyday person, which is kind of strange to talk about people in that way because... Why wouldn't somebody who has been living through maybe the same amount of years and experience but into something else not be an expert of something else? And like it's a little bit values, right? Like what we place a value on. Yes, what we place a value on. And I think we do not today place a value on really getting in touch with an everyday that is... Uh, your own and not mm. uh, everybody's so like your own routines and your own rituals and your yeah. own performances, spatial performances, the way you move through the city. What the everyday does is that it takes you, I think, from one place to the other. You can choose to go there in a very different processes. And I think the, you are the outcome of the process more than the place you want to go. Mm. And so in that everyday, in the practicing of that everyday, you might get somewhere in a very different way. So it is important and people should give value to to that, I guess. How can an expert look at situations in a non-expert way? Mm-hmm. I guess with curiosity in a way, but also um, when maybe he looks or she looks at the same thing by the side or uh, in conversation with another expert of something else. Because I think somebody else who um, has a, an experience or a knowledge of the same thing but from another perspective can open up those um, places where it becomes interesting and curious from your quite developed point of view of your own field, juxtaposing those different experiences. Um, So, what role does role-playing have in achieving mastery over a performative art form such as dance? Okay, I think this has to do a lot with this idea of the everyday and the expertise being a process, because... Uh, I think that a dance is something which the body learns, the flesh learns, not just the body in the sense of coordination, but also the flesh, the muscle, like every part of the body learns. Um, it At some point, I think, it really becomes dance, so it is dancing. And... Um, I feel like sometimes when you put a dancer into role play, it might um, limit their ability to express their expertise, which is their body, the memory of their body in a way. And I I guess I'm talking more about really improvised dances, like dances that are not uh, theater choreographed and things like that, where the expression and the technique become... Uh, maybe even more important, but in role-playing, 
But I think there is some categories of dance where, and we've talked about this with tango, for example, the way you dance can be for the outside or for the inside. So you can get into the role play and you will give an image of what people expect the dance to be. Or you can choose to really get into the essence of the dance, which is, especially in this case, shared with another person. So it really happens in a very tight space. And then the other people can see the traces of that, but that is not necessarily the, the same image as of the role-played dance. And I guess that has to do a lot with also how dances are marketed, because they are marketed in role-play. Right. And that's where this becomes an issue, when you try to fit in a specific role. Make up a story that describes you. I can do that. <laughs> I really can't. Who, who are you? <laughs> great question. <laughs> um, I really tried to not think about it, so I would really go against that if I start to answer the question. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But I would really prefer to see myself coming out in things that I'm not consciously trying to role play. <laughs> But also I think there is so much pressure from um, the place we live in today to answer that question. And it's not even answered, I think. It's just ready. Like it, It's great when somebody is struggling with that question with themselves, but I think usually it's just having to undo answers that you just took for granted on yourself and you actually really damaged yourself in that process because you were role-playing. Yes. I think at some point the pressure, first of all, has to go away and then eventually maybe something comes out which is a little bit of you and not whatever is you projected. were projected to be. Right. 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 Um, okay, so of all the people that you are, mm -hmm. Who do you want to be all the time? No, I don't think I am different people at the same time. I think it is perceived in that way because um, somehow the contradiction is not accepted into people. So you either have to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. But I think if we accept contradiction and if we accept the fact that we are physically, let's say, what we call a person, and then our manifestations of who we are then changes, or it doesn't change, it's just coping with reality. So I don't think I have a kind of um, a strong distinction of ways I can be, but um, I think there's a lot of contradiction um, also that I try to... To deal with, but I really see that as just really fundamental in every human being, and maybe the the core of revealing that contradiction is also a term we come up with to describe things that somehow do not work with each other. And I think the problem is that the system or the infrastructure we have created around us makes make them not work with each other. They simplify us, so. Uh, I don't think it's our problem. It's a it's a terminology problem that then is kind of imposed into us. Like I think we are so pressured into playing roles from the very beginning, starting with our own bodies, as you know, gender-wise and everything else. Like, and gender has a lot to do with this, especially females. You know, like 
you have to put on your female face while you are anyway. It's taking out of you what you are, simplifying it and then giving back to you. And somehow it doesn't fit right, because right. you're a bit more yes, or yes. a bit less. So um, I think everybody's pressuring us into role-playing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think sometimes it's also healthy to do it mm-hmm. because, you know, it can be very difficult to handle um, the reality of yourself in the world without an actual identity that you feel you can rest inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think it should be a journey. A, a circular journey of even coming back and then doing another turn and coming back. I give an example, like usually also children try to do that when they first come into the world. Now they're trying to give words and ask questions and really try to grasp. So it's I guess it's in our nature to try to grasp mm-hmm. reality and put it into a metaphor so mm-hmm. we can handle it or yeah. and I guess that is innate mm-hmm. so we will always do it but I think the more space we give to that the more surprised and enchanted and fascinated we will be with what we discover because we open that window a bit more right yeah. so thanks so much for talking to us today Bora.